With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun. So winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Welcome back to What a Ball If. My name's Ant Watterson. I am joined once again by Gary Clark. Gary, how's it going? Very well, very well, mate. And yourself? Yeah, just about got my voice back uh, after <laughs> Saturday. Um, yeah, absolutely loved it. Best day of my life. Uh, and we're going to talk about that today. Obviously, you know, we, we try and stay as an impartial as a podcast. You know, the podcast was never about Sunderland. It's about sport. It was about me and you just talking about anything we like, really. But you know, our team's been promoted a bit, so we're going to talk about it, and we're going to talk about it with two very special guests from the Roper Report podcast. First of all, it's Malcolm Dugdale. How are we doing, Malcolm? Good evening, Ant. I'm good. I'm good, thanks, mate. I'm uh, like you. I'm, I'm just about recovered from an epic weekend, uh, and it's nice to get back to having a bit of a chat about footy, um, including if it is general footy, because, uh, yeah, yeah, it was a great weekend, and you know, the, the memories are still very bright in the mind. So, looking forward to having a bit of a chinwag. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they'll go away for a long time, will they? Um, we're, <laughs> we're joined also by my mate, Sam Blakey. Sam, how are we doing, mate? Um, I'm good, I'm very good. I was I was a bit uh, meh, a bit tired after work, but then a few mentions of uh, the weekend just gone and you can see the smile on my face. So, uh, all the better for hearing about it and going to talk about it. I cannot wait. I don't know what it's like for you too, but like, because Gary blessing me wasn't there. He's in the middle of buying a house, so he couldn't go. But I've got worse as the week's gone on. I don't know what you two like. Sunday I was fine, getting home on the train. I was spot on. Monday, shag. Tuesday, even more shag. And today, I just can't keep my eyes open. I don't know about you two, like. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. Um, Sunday, it was uh, my, my daughter's partner's dad's 70th birthday work that one out when you when you haven't had a couple of beers um but long story short you know i got back saturday night because we went friday and, and didn't stay saturday um and i was thinking you know what that's been a ridiculously amount a ridic- ridiculously large amount of ale to drink obviously it's affected my speech even now look um so i'm i'm, I'm not gonna i'm not gonna go back on it and then sunday afternoon i had a few tinnies because it was uh this guy's 70th birthday bless him and he's back on but the more the week went on you're right i mean last night i was sat there trying to watch the telly about half past nine and i couldn't keep my eyes open because it slowly catches up with you you know and it's not just the 
the physical tiredness, you know, the emotions we all went through over that weekend, it was absolutely amazing. Uh, and I think that catches up with you a bit as well, you know. Yeah, Wembley Blues, Sam, I think. And Sam, you're younger than all of us, so, I mean, you're only, what, 22, 23? So, like, right. how was it been for you? No, it was good. Um, it was one of the worst hangovers I've ever had on Sunday during a five-hour drive home, like... And while I'm trying to fall asleep in the back of the car with a thumping headache, you've got goals going in in the Premier League left, right and centre. And my dad's got the radio on about 200 volumes, so that didn't that didn't help with anything. But no, Monday was like a bit of a crash, wasn't it? But it was like, I kept saying to me, mum, it was a nice hangover. You know, and one of those where it was worth it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was worth it. It wasn't like, ah, oh, I didn't even have a good night. It was like, like everyone was... One of the happiest hangovers they'll ever have this week, but I'm I'm fine now. Like so, maybe I am a bit younger. Ah, you lucky bastard! <laughs> I'm I'm honestly I'm done. I'm absolutely <laughs> done. But we'll go we'll go into obviously the the day itself. Obviously, um, we took off for Trafalgar. Um, you know, obviously I wasn't there on the Friday night. Gary, I'll ask you this question first. Obviously, you've seen you know what happened on Friday and what happened Saturday just afterwards. I mean, name me another another team that's going to be able to do that down. Especially in League One, to go to Trafalgar Square, take over, take fifty thousand fans, take over again, you know, and then all come back in, you know, drips and droves, all absolutely aching and and sweating and hung over, you know what I mean? It, it it just it outlines how special this club is and and the potential of it, I think. Yeah, I totally, totally agree with that. I mean, it, even before then, if you if you look at the first leg of the playoff semis, you know, when we got 45,000 at home, the way it was like built up, you know, production-wise, media-wise, going into it, we had a massive following. Then obviously going down uh, to London, to Trafalgar. Um, obviously, you mentioned there I didn't get to go to the game because I'm in the process of buying a house, which I was like, I'm... I'm devastated I couldn't go, but financially I can't afford it, right? I couldn't afford it. So, like, you know, when I saw, like, obviously Carl's pictures and stuff in the group chat um, and, like, all the stuff on social media, like the Trafalgar takeover, it sounds really, really sad, but I went on Snapchat Maps and just tapped on it and I was just watching everyone's, like, posts, videos, photos and stuff. And, like, it's I got quite emotional about it because... Like, in the build-up to the game, like, I mean, I said this to you last week, like, I literally did not speak a word of that game or how I felt it would go or even make a prediction. I literally kept my opinion to myself, did not say anything. And just in the build-up to it and stuff, like, got emotional because, you know, I really felt in my, I really felt this was definitely the time for us. Um, And, you know, seeing the support, I mean... As, as far as, you know, as we go, like, the support which we carry everywhere, whether that be home, away, Wembley for a Papa John's Cup, Wembley for the playoff final, you know, we're a massively supported club, um, and, you know, gotta love the fans, like, gotta love them um, for, for making the journey, and, you know, some people would have went down the same day and came back on the same day, and, you know, that's, like, what, about eight-hour all-round trip as well? Yeah, I did, I did that last time when we uh, when we got beat off All day, all day, one in, one out. It was horrendous on the way back. To be honest, yeah, massive testament to the fans and the support for the club. And like, I was gutted I couldn't be there, but you know, we're back in the championship. You know, we're one league up. You know, I like we're finally out of League One after four years, and I couldn't be happier. Like, yeah, definitely. I mean, and. What I noticed as well, Matt, with with Trafalgar, seeing the pictures on on Friday night. Obviously, you were there on Friday night, and Sam was there. And and what we've what we've seen from like, obviously, we're all local report lads as well. How how like there's Sunderland fans all over the place, isn't there? I mean, there was there was people. Obviously, Matt lives in Peterborough. Um, we've got people on local report as far as America. You know, we've got Brett who lives in Milton Keynes. Bomber, who's you know, he's a Bristol lad from Gloucester. I mean, it's just. You talk to fans from all over the country and all over the world, really, there for Sunderland. And it's, it's just great to see, you know, like, it's a sleeping giant, isn't it? And we're, we're one fears of waking up, if you know what I mean by that. Yeah, I mean, it was such an emotional journey. That's what I was touching on earlier on. You know, I caught up with people I've not seen for absolutely donkey's years. I left the North East when I was 18. Um, but I've stayed in touch with family and friends and stuff like that, you know. Um, I hadn't seen my old best man for getting on for 15 years. Saw him in Trafalgar Square at a pint, you know. Yeah. I've not seen members of my family that have kind of retired and relocated down to the southwest. Caught up with a couple of them in Box Park and had a couple of pints, you know. It's it's like a, it's like the North East was shut 
and everyone was just at Wembley and at Trafalgar Square the night before because, you know, you were seeing people that, um, you know, really catching up, you know, reminiscing about the bad times, looking forward to the good times. Um, and, yeah, you didn't even mention Martin as well. And You know, Martin came over from Saudi <laughs> Australia for the weekend. You know, uh, two and a half thousand US uh, Australian dollars he spent on a flight. Um, thank God we won for that blow game. Imagine <laughs> the, the yip, the yip he's going to get in his ears from the other half if he goes all the way to Australia and we didn't win. You know, I know. you think you're struggling, mate, with uh, not being able to go because you're buying a house. That that would have been absolutely <laughs> nightmarish. Um, I, know. I think so one yeah, of his kids' college great. funds being uh, being there stopped, doesn't it? <laughs> one of them definitely not going to part that I'd say either that or he's, he's going to keep the existing car for another year or two and not, not uh, get a bit of an upgrade, isn't it? Uh, but yeah, it was brilliant. It was brilliant, and and you know you're right. The the fans are another level. I know we're part of that, and we're a little bit um, biased, shall we say? Um, but being there, man, honestly, it was it was like I, I said to one of my mates. There's only one time that um, I've felt a crowd like that. My missus and one of my daughters have always been, you know, a big Robbie Williams fans. So I took them to Nebworth. <laughs> Uh, early 2000s, right? There was 120,000 people there. That's the only time in my 50-something years of being on the planet that I felt a crowd like that. If if you need 120,000 people at Nebworth to replicate Sunderland, either in Trafalgar Square on a Friday night or in Wembley on a Saturday afternoon, that's that's you know the biggest compliment I can give our our bunch of lunatics because it was it was proper special. We'll go into the into the, into the day, Sam, and, and obviously even over the on the way down on the train and everything. Like that, I, I remember the Charlton game three years ago, and we'd gone into it in, in not great form. We kind of stumbled over the line against Pompey there, but in this one, I just I don't know. I don't know if I felt confident because I don't think you never be confident being a Sunderland supporter, but I just didn't feel the the pressure. Uh, I think of what the day was. I just I thought we were going to win. No, I was expecting us to win, and, and obviously that would come back and buy many hours. But it, it seemed a different type of atmosphere on the day. Yeah, I'd say it's hard because I've seen everyone say this, and I'm not just saying this to be different. For some reason, I felt more nervous for this one. Mm. I just felt the fact that, and I know you look at it and they were in the championship before us and you're just going off boogies and pundits, but the fact that we were the favourites and we had the crowd, I just... I just felt like it was such a sudden thing to not turn up. And that was, it wasn't based on any rhyme or reason. I trusted Alex Neil, I trusted the players. But you know, it's just that you just realise your club and your Sunderland. And it was like, I was walking down Wembley Way and it was like all the memories coming back of walking away sad and disappointed. And it all got a bit overwhelming, but I just had uh, maybe too many more pints than I should have. But as soon as M Button's goal went in, I felt as, as like, I just felt like it was always written. As soon as that goal went in, I just thought, right, I've got the crowd now, and I felt like at that point, I felt even if they conceded, I just thought we're gonna we're winning this game. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And um, we'll go into the game, and then obviously, um, Gary, I'll bring you in this one. We we probably could have been ahead before um, and Emblem's goal, and Alex Pritchard hits a free kick, which half the crowd in the Sunderland then thinks it's gone in. Um, you know, I, I was I was three rolls down. I thought I thought we'd score. Do you know what I mean? But the first goal, I mean, Elliot Hamilton, he gets the ball from halfway line. You know, takes on a couple of players. That's one goal. You can talk all you want that it's bad goalkeeping. It probably is. But what a moment for him! I mean, like Elliot Hamilton's from Sacriston, where me and you were from. He scores a goal at Wembley in front of his family, in front of his fans. I mean, that doesn't get any better, does it? That's his career's highest moments there. You know what I mean? He's not going to replicate that anymore. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, you know, that that is a dream for him. And, you know, going just to the beginning of that, the starting lineup. So, Ali uh, Emblem was the change that was brought in. And looking at the team, I remember saying to uh, my girlfriend, I was like, he's brought Elliot Emblem and he had to shoot outside the box. Because that's what he does. He's, he's got a good shot from outside of the box. And granted, you know, he, he smashed it straight at their keeper. And it, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it was poor goalkeeping. I think the goalkeeper's vision was quite shaded. And then when he managed to get his hand up for it, it just went straight through him due to the power of the shot. But, you know, like, he, he loves the club. 
much like Lyndon Gooch does. Um, it's a massive moment for him. I'm sure the next biggest moment for him is potentially scoring a goal that's going to get us back into the Premier League um, in the future, hopefully this season maybe. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that must be absolutely like brilliant for him. I mean, local lad and, you know, he's not the only local lad in the team as well. Obviously, Patterson's, you know, from North Shields as well, who, you know, I've been a critic of Patterson and... Um, Last couple of games, I think he, he's looked good. He's looked solid. Um, David Priest done a great, great job of him. Um, you know, especially the final, he looked a lot calmer than he did in the second leg against Sheffield Wednesday, which was is great to see. But I mean, that's I like that about our nucleus of the team. You know, we've got Daniel, Dan Neal, sorry, Daniel Neal, whatever you want to call him, uh, on on the bench as well. Local lad, I like how these little lads are coming through. But as far as the game goes, yeah, when Pritchard took that shot, I. I Find me someone who did not think that went in because I thought that went in. And then when I saw it hit against the back end of the net, I was like, nah, that hasn't gone in. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like from start to finish, we dominated Wigan. Um, I don't feel like they put any kind of pressure on us either. Um, I mean, they, they had that chance where Patson saved it with his leg. They brought Acton Fenwar on to obviously try and push us around a bit. But I feel like we just had con- complete control of the game, in my honest opinion. Matt, were you a little bit disappointed that it was only 1-0 at half-time? Because obviously we absolutely dominated the game. You know, we scored that goal. Obviously, Pritchard had a free kick. We had we had a couple of more chances. Paddy Roberts was absolutely dominating their, uh, their left-back, Jacobson. Uh, we were winning the midfield battle. You know, everything was, was going well. And you know what happens when you're 1-0 up at half-time. You think we're going to concede or something like that. But did you think we probably should have added more? You know, and I am nitpicking here, but I think we should have added more. Um, you've kind of justified my emotions with what you've said. And, you know, if it was 1-0 and we'd scraped it, then I would have been more apprehensive and nervous about the start of the second half. You know, sometimes we come out after half-time oranges and we're not quite at it and we let a daft goal in and then it can go anywhere, can't it? Um, I think we, you know, overall in the game, uh, we could have won that definitely 4-0 and not been embarrassed or flattered by it. Because, you know, we had Ross Stewart put a header just wide of the post in the second half. Mm. You know, we had a couple of lads get through and have either close to or, you know, full-on one-on-ones. Um, you know, that, that appeal for a penalty from Roberts, I've seen them given before, you know, where you squeeze the ball through people and they, they block you off, you know, and, and I've seen them given before. So, no, I mean, at half-time... Um, I was happy that we were at least up because my theory before going into Wembley was let's absolutely batter them for the first half an hour and get something. You know, we've got to get a lead. The longer it went on without them um, conceding, I think the more twitchy we get, especially with a huge crowd watching on, you know, and expecting things. Um, But 1-0 was okay at half-time and I was more confident than I've been for a lot of managers that Alex would turn it up in the second half. Um, it took us a while, but uh, but yeah, it, it could have been a way more um, impressive score than it was. Um, but, you know, we, we, we definitely controlled the game, as we said before, for pretty much all of it. You know, they didn't even have a single shot on target in the first half. That was the other stat that made me happy. Not a single one, you know, so we're clearly doing the job back to front as well. It was, it was dominant, dominant, yeah. And I'll, I'll go into the second half, Sam, and I've got a big turning point for me. Gary's just touched on it, is, is Anthony Patterson's save from, from Vokes. It's the, the one mistake we've done all game, I think, where Bailey Wright got caught out by the bounce. But Patterson's just come out straight away. He's actually anticipated that Wright's going to miss it. He's come straight out, made yeah. himself big. It's a hell of a save. And, and as Gary's touched on, the improvement in Patterson since the Wigan game away, where he did look a little bit like a, a fish out of the water, he looked lost, to be honest. Um, his improvement's been unbelievable, hasn't it, under Alex Neal? Yeah, massively. And I was a bit of a, I was a bit of a critic of him, saying he, he looks scared. He doesn't want to come out for the ball. And I think this game against Wickham at Wembley against the team, like you said, where he really struggled earlier in the season, it just highlights how much he's come on in a short amount of time. And I think you've got to give him massive credit and the staff because. He looks like a different keeper. If you showed the highlights from the 3-3 and then you showed the save against Vokes yesterday, uh, on Saturday, sorry, you, you would think it was a different keeper, never mind, like six months on. So, no, he's been great. And I think it was 
like you said, he was straight out, wasn't he? He wasn't he wasn't thinking I need me defence there. He was thinking if they get past Billy Wright and Bart and there. And I think you saw it in Vokes as well. He wasn't expecting him to be there straight away. So it was really good. And it was it was also helpful for Wright to just be able to put it out of his system and think, right, we've got a way of one we keep his builders out or get on with the game. And that's what you need from your your back three and your spine and um, he's got to go into next season as our number one, which I never ever thought I'd see it like six months ago. I was exactly the same. To be fair, I don't didn't think he would be number one potential, mm. especially in the championship. Oh Maybe yeah, there's still a lot of le- left to be desired. I, like I said earlier, I think David Priest has done a brilliant job with him, um, and there's high hopes for Jacob Carney as well. I think, um, mm. but the the confidence in the final when he saved the ball with his inside leg. He just looked calm. It was just like, oh, I need bother. Um, compared to maybe the second leg against Sheffield Wednesday where the nerves really did kick in. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think I had a heart attack or heart palpitations a couple of times. But <laughs> the improvement is so much better. And I think going into next season, I do feel like you'll find much more of a voice. And that was my big issue with him is, is that mm-hmm. he's scared to come out. He doesn't really have much command. You can see last few games he has started to show that, which is great. And, you know, that's a testament to the coaching of, of the club at the moment and what Alex Neal and, and team want to do. They want to work and they want to work on these kids. Yeah. Mal, I want to ask you a, a question about Adebay and Fenway because obviously he comes on. Um, Ainsworth said before the game he was coming on anyway. But he brings him on because of an injury. Um, one of the lads goes down, uh, I think it was the right back, wasn't it? Who had to come off injured. And he's on, for me, he's on quite early for, you know, a 40 odd year old bloke making his last appearance. You know, Anton Fenwell doesn't run, he's a muscle man, you know, he's a you know, big beast, as, as he's called. Do you think there, in hindsight, as much as the sentiment is it's his last game, it's at Wembley, we'll bring him on, should he ends with it need a different change? Because all it, all it looked like there was him and Vokes were up front and him and Vokes didn't move for the last 20 minutes. You know, they're not that kind of player. They're both exactly the same. They're a big powerhouse unit who let players come off and to have two of them on the pitch, I think, opened the game up for something a bit more. Um, yeah, I would agree with most of that. And, um, you know, when he came on uh, with the amount of minutes left that there was, my immediate thought was, right, quick pass the ball, quick pass the ball, quick pass the ball. <laughs> Get, get the oxygen out of that big unit as quick as you possibly can and then he's going to be a pedestrian, you know. And to, to Agenfenner's credit, you know, he did make a difference for, for five minutes. You know, we struggled to contain his physicality, um, you know, and they were playing balls into him. You know, the, the guy's huge. Uh, you know, he was handing people off, which, strictly speaking, isn't within the laws of the game. But, you know, he's he, he did have a bit of a, an effect, but... I always had in the back of my mind, as long as we can get through that initial, you know, five or ten minutes where he's on the pitch and he's trying to make an instant difference, um, then he wouldn't be very effective for the remainder of the time left, you know, because he, he just hasn't got the, the aerobic capacity and the fitness to carry that that unit around. You can do that when you're younger, um, but when, when you get to the wrong side of 35 in the football game, you know, every pound you're carrying, you know, you, you really struggle with your recovery and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think Ainsworth made a, a mistake. I think he should have brought somebody else on to help shore up the situation and to try and get back in the game. Um, but doing that with a person who's only really ever got 10 minutes left in the tank with a bit more than that was a gamble and, and I, it didn't pay off, you know. Credit to the defensive guys, you know, they had a crowd around him at times. Um, you know, like I said, Akin we did make a difference, but um, I, I don't think that was the right decision from a coaching perspective. Um, no, please, made the mistake, you know, because we benefited from it. I mean, especially when you are allowed to make a full sub in extra time, say if they took an extra time and he brought out, you know, like they got that young wheeler on the bench, I think it's the kind of player that had um, uh, Farino Joseph, who's who's caused a few problems as well. Um, so I just think, I just think it should have been. Listen, I'm not bothered, you know what I mean? But I think in hindsight, the angels might look at that and think, mm, I made a wrong mistake. But we'll, we'll talk about the second goal now, Sam. And, you know, wonderful play game by Alex Pritchard. I think it's a great team goal. And it goes to Sunderland's talisman, the lot less drunk by Ross Stewart, who just takes a touch, goes inside. And you know, as soon as he's hit that, that's going in. 
you know, just like the the confidence that man's actually, you know, had all game to be honest, he was always gonna score, I believe. And uh, I mean the crowd just goes absolutely wild, you know, I'm crying my eyes out at this point. It's just, you know, it was just a great goal, wasn't it? Yeah, it was really good play actually. Well, you know, it's one of those where you don't realise what actually happened until you watch it back sober. But um, it was great playing on the touchline by Roberts and Pritchard because the sort of they pulled the Wickham players in and made out they were just going to keep it a bit and play it simple. And then suddenly Pritchard flicks it round the corner and makes a move, gets a bat, and he's took two players out of the game. And that's what them two can do. And then, like you say, gets it into Stewart. And I, w- I do wonder, watching it back, if the header was playing on his mind because he probably should have scored the header. Mm-hmm. And I think he was thinking, mm-hmm. if I get this ball, I'm I'm shooting, I'm scoring today. Because he, he, watch the replay about it, doesn't even look up, he just shifted on to his right, he knows if he reverses it, and he either gets it through the legs or passes centre-back, it's in. So, no, it was, it was mental. It was just, it was, my dad was saying all week, obviously, you know, the slogan, till the end, and we've scored loads of late goals. And he was saying, God, imagine being in that Charlton end when you know you're celebrating promotion and that, first of all I was saying please stop talking about that game but um, <laughs> he was saying he was saying no imagine you're not celebrating a goal you're celebrating promotion and that's what Stuart's goal felt like it felt like we were celebrating finally doing it everything like like you're saying people were crying it was just like a release it was yes, you've, yeah. you've built it up so much in your head People around me didn't really know what to do with themselves. You had people running down seats, people freezing, people crying. It was, it was that goal was you knew you knew didn't you? You knew would would done it when that went in. It was a it was a special moment that I'll 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 never ever forget. No, I totally agree with the word the word you said there. The release, I think that I think that's absolutely bang on. You know, it was it was, it was the same around me. Just everyone was there was some people who didn't actually know what to do. You know, like trying to hug someone, trying to want to cry, want to you know just to yeah. run them down a few steps. You know, and then you know I think people did all three. You know, but it was it was just yeah. I, I think that's hit the nail on the head. A release of emotion that we've finally got out of this godforsaken league. Um, you know, like like Gary will go on to like you know full time and and you know that full time whistle goes after somehow the referee finds five minutes. I don't know how because there was loads name in the stoppage. You know, like um, he finds five minutes out. You know, probably we should have gone three 0 up when uh, Jack Clark went through one on one. But obviously, me, Malam, and Sam are, are going wild, so we're not sure whether you know the raw. But describe me that raw at full time when promotion is is. Uh, it's, it's finally clinched and the, and the first rendition of the um, wise men say so. From, from my perspective, watching it on TV, it was insane. I mean, just the two goals going in anyway, like, I, I was speechless. Like, I, I was celebrating it at home and I was speechless at the same time because I was thinking in my head, we're going to do it. We're literally going to do it this time. Like, this is our moment and stuff. And, you know, when, when full-time whistle went and were promoted and we're, we're back in the championship and we're out of league one and you know you know next stop is potentially you know working towards promotion i'm not saying we'll do it next season or even the season after that but working towards maybe getting back to where we need to be it's mental like the the just the the passion obviously of the fans you know staying staying behind singing and you know credit to some of the wickham fans as well who stayed behind and kind of applauded our team as well it was just insane absolutely insane and I'm buzzing we're out of this league, basically. Yeah, yeah. I, like, like I said, it's just that release. What I want to ask all three of you is I'll start with Melba. Obviously, the the man of the match was, was Alex Pritchard. Our goal scorers were Ed Emerton and Ross Stewart. But I, I think it was a team effort that was all 11 of those players. I just want all three of you to pick out a player. It doesn't have to necessarily be from that game, but a player who's gone under the radar, I think, for something definitely under Alex Neil. I just got to pick. You know, we'll all pick a player each, to be honest, um, of of who you think is just shone under Alex Neil. We'll start with Mal. Uh, that, that's a very simple question for me, and um, I wanted this player gone a few months ago, um, and he's been an absolute revelation. And that's Corey Evans. Um, yeah, he 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 couldn't he couldn't tie his own chuff and shoelaces a few months ago you know he, he was absolutely terrible um and under alex Neal's leadership as the coach and stuff like that he's just become that 
that quiet, solid, thinking, defensive midfielder that we really, really needed. And that didn't even realise we bloody needed him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It shows how much I know. Um, but yeah, Corey Evans, um, me and my son were like, why on earth is Evans getting a start? Why on earth is Evans still getting the captain's armband? You know, time after time, he was making mistakes. He was balls and things up. Mm-hmm. And then under Alex Nail, you know, it's been like um, somebody's finally got him. You know, you know when strikers strike up a bit of a partnership and it just clicks and works. Something that Alex Nail did with that midfield and the defence just behind him, it just started to absolutely click. And he was running the show most of the day in Wembley, uh, and in my opinion, anyway. Uh, so yeah, he'd, he'd be my pick, Mara. Yeah, Sam will go with you. Um, I'll go for his partner in crime, Luke 09. Um, I think, look, you, now the conversation about ability and whether he'll make it in the league above or what, but the way him and obviously Evans have just, like Mark said, clicked in that midfield, it just it works, doesn't it? It's, it's like it almost looks instinctive. One of them knows where the other one's going to be. And that I saw... Um, even before before I get into the first goal, before Wembley, the job he did on Barry Bannon over mm-hmm. two legs, and I don't care if Barry Bannon was fifty percent fit, ten percent fit, ninety percent fit. He's he's a he's a he's a class above Barry Bannon, and he's probably a class above Luke O'Nine. But he just dug in and he did the job that was asked of him. And without him doing a job on Barry Bannon, I'd, God knows what would have happened over those two legs. And then. At Wembley, uh, once the first goal back, and he just gets the ball in the middle, and he knows right, get it forward, get it quick, hit Pritchard or Roberts or somebody who's better on the ball, and that's sometimes what you need from a midfield too, just unselfishness to get the ball and to give it to someone better than them to create space, and he got the ball straight away, give it to Pritchard who had loads of space, and then Emilton took it off him, and the rest is history. So my shout was Luke 09 definitely. Yeah, Gary. I think I know who yours is going to be, actually. But I bet you don't. Um, so I originally was going to go for Corey Evans originally, uh, but that's been picked. And then I thought Luke O'Nine. That's been picked. So I've got to, I've got to go with this guy. Um, and he's really came on more so under Alex Neal than he did under Lee Johnson. And Bailey Wright for me. I think Bailey Wright has been integral like for the last couple of months under Alex Neal. Um I feel him and Danny Bart like they have a good partnership, albeit they did switch off uh for a couple of seconds uh in the playoff final. But like I really like him. Um I think when he was playing, you know, with a, in a back three, I think with Flanagan and Doyle, I feel like the communication there was just crap. Um back in Lee Johnson times. But I think Bailey Wright's done really, really well. But as well, you know, Patrick Roberts really no one really knew what Patrick Roberts was capable of prior to Celtic you know he came in from Troy's where like you know he hadn't really done anything so no one really knew anything of him so really and probably credit his ability to to Alex Neal as well because he's given him a chance but if I'm going with who I feel has improved a lot probably he's barely right yeah I thought you were going to say Gooch I, I love Gooch. Like I do really rate him. Like, but he's he's one of those players who is very frustrating and he's not the greatest player, but the fans like, you know, you can get on board with his game and Nyron knows where he was exactly the same. The fans loved him, but he wasn't the greatest player. But Gooch Gooch will play anywhere on that pitch. He'll go in goal if he has to, he'll clean the boots if he has to, because he does love the club. And I really like that about Gooch. And you know, when you watch all this social media stuff with Gooch, like his mum needs to wash his mouth out with soap because he's the only one that swears on it, and he's like going on about how alcohol's in his eyes and stuff, and swearing when this stuff's going on SEFC's Instagram. It's funny, like, but no, I, I mean, I think Gooch has improved under Neil, but I, f- I feel he needs to improve a little bit more if he's gonna be a steady Championship player, which you know he, he could sign a new contract by the looks of it, so. Uh, I'm going to conclude with, with my, I think all three are excellent. Uh, really, really good points. I think Bailey Wright's been phenomenal. Um, I agree with Sam about Lugo and I. Um, I think his just awareness of the of what's going on and the job that he's being asked to do has been a very um, messy job, if you know what I mean by that. Plus, his reaction when he puts that tackle in uh, in oh, the 97 awesome. minutes was, was unbelievable. 
Well, I'm going to have to like conclude with, with Mal about Corey Evans because I think what what Mal touched on there is he didn't realise what he needed until he came back into the team, and it's what he doesn't do, which I think like what you don't notice for Corey Evans is why he's so integral to this team. You know, he just puts an absolute shitload of work in. He's always there recycling the player. We've needed someone like him for four years and we've finally found him. And I hope he can kick on next year because his last two months, he has been absolutely phenomenal. I think they all have, like I said, I kind of picked a bad player out um, for the last six, seven weeks because we've just hit this wonderful vein of form where, where, where we've just looked as if we were going to go up. You know, had Alex Neal been in for six weeks early, I think we're, we're talking about something going up automatically, to be honest, but it is what it is. I do want to touch on Lee Johnson as well. Um, Sam, I'll ask you on this, because obviously Lee Johnson left. Yeah, we got hammered 6 0 ball them, but we were in an all right position. I think Alex Pritchard touched on it as well, that he got them, you know, he got this quarry and he got some good players in this year. Um, you know, he, he went to youth and, you know, I, I don't want to see, you know, credit to him, but you know, I think he deserves some part of congratulatory as well in this that he got, you know, the basis of this team together. No, I, I agree. I, I actually don't mind Lee Johnson. A lot of fans seem to um seem to not like him very much, but I think he he had the right idea, just executed it a bit poorly. I think maybe in the league above playing football like that he might be served a bit better. But um I think it was the right decision to let him go but what you were saying there about the core of the team like I said he had the right ideas he, he's brought through like look at look at Dan Neal I know he maybe overused him a bit but before this season that lad had never played and it wasn't even that many months ago we were talking about him getting a Premier League move so things like that speak volumes but bringing Pritchard in I've heard Pritchard's interview and it, it shows you what he was sold with the club and it wasn't a lie or anything it was it was it was the vision Lee Johnson saw. So while Neil get, obviously gets all the credit, I, I know what you're saying. Lee Johnson put the foundations there, but ultimately just he, he couldn't he couldn't quite do what Neil's done at the back, could he? No, no. And that's that. Malt will let you talk about the gaffer. You know, Alex Neil, who's he's coming in 15 games unbeaten, one defeat in 18. <laughs> he's he's managed to show us up at the back where we've looked solid. He's he had to sacrifice, you know, a little bit of, of Rob Stewart's goals, I think, early on to get that to get that defence order. But then in the last six weeks, we've seen Stewart hit form. We've seen our, our attacking options. I mean, surely the first thing the club needs to do is tie that man down to a couple of year deals, and don't we? That, that will be the first of the contract negotiations, the club. Um, if I was involved in the club, that, that I would be dealing with because, um, you know, to, to Sam's point, I do agree that Lee Johnson's football would succeed more regularly in the higher divisions. Um, and I agree that Johnson's feelings were the defensive solidity that we eventually got to Alex Neil. Um, but for me, Alex Neil is a way more rounded football and coach, you know. Um he, he he's he's dead straight, you know. It, you know, he reminds me of, of Peter Reid when Peter Reid was managing Sunderland, you know. No shit. No crap, you know. You know exactly what you're gonna get. Um, and he he calls a spade a spade. The way he manages the media is just hilarious every way. I almost look forward to his press conferences as much as the bloody highlights of the match if I can't vote, <laughs> because the way he spins these guys is is absolutely bang on message. I'm I'm gonna stick my neck out a little bit here. Um, I do think we should tie him down. You know, it was tragic when we did a double drop, but I think we've got an opportunity of a double up. Um, with mm -hmm. Alex Neil at the helm I really do we'll probably only be able to do it through the playoffs I'm not going to get myself too kind of carried away um, but with a full pre-season you know the backing of the club to uh, you know invest in some players and bring further youth through I think he's got the football in mind and coaching capability to give us a shot at the playoffs and you never know we might do it again um, so so yeah he's, he's been an absolute um, blinder over the moon that Roy Keane didn't come back looking back on that that would have been an absolute disaster and I didn't like the idea at the time to be honest um, but yeah you know 10 out of 10 for Alex Neil and yeah let's get him tied down let's give him three years you know and uh, put a big fat bonus in his contract to say you get us back into the Premier League in the next three years 
and we're going to make you a very happy man, you know, and I think there's a good chance he could do it too. Yeah, I mean, I think Roking would have been a disaster, but he would have been a funny disaster, if you know what I mean by that. We would never have got up, or it would have been, it would have been quite funny. But, you know, like, like I say, I mean, Gary, I think uh, Miles brought a great point up there compared to Peter Reid. But you look at, like, the straight talk managers that we've had over the years, you know, the Allardyces, you know, the Roy Keynes, the Peter Reeds, and the Alex Neils. That's what I feel Southern fans are, can relate to more. And, and as much as I, I did like Lee Johnson, but he, his press conference were a little bit, he was he talked a lot. Let's, let's be honest, you know, he liked to discuss the in and outs and the far ends of the far. Whereas Neil is just so down to earth. He talks like a fan would talk, and that's what I really like about him. Yeah, he's very. Plus, the fact very his fair. technical knowledge is, is unbelievable as well. Uh, it is, it is to be fair, and you know he, he does talk very straight. The point is a straight shooter, and one thing that I've got to point out as well: the the second leg when we beat Sheffield Wednesday, and he pure called out the Sky Sports presenter, saying, "Oh, like I'm trying to put like a negative spin on it and stuff about obviously the record of the playoffs and stuff." Fair play to him, bravo, because I feel like sometimes we do get a bad rub from the media. Um, but Alex Neil, my type of guy, you know, like he comes in, you know, he's he's gonna take no shit. He knows what he wants to do. He wants to shore up the defense because that's where he starts at. Um, he he'll take players individually and go, this is what I know you're good at, and this is what I want you to focus on. The prime example of that is Corey Evans. Um, you know that he he comes in to win ball the ball a ball winner midfielder, and that's what we need him for. You know, it's not classy and it's not flash, but he did it, and you know that's what he was looking for in him. Um. That that sort of stuff, like I love. I think he's a great coach. Um, I think he's the best coach we've had in, in a long time. I did like Lee Johnson. Lee Johnson was a very confusing character at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. but I didn't have any problems with him. You know, obviously six 0 getting beat off Bolton. You know, that caused a, a big debate between me, and you, and obviously our other friends. Um, I feel like you know, it was one defeat. It was a bad defeat. It was strange to sack him. But when we got Alex Neal, I, I wasn't bothered. He's a championship manager. He's a championship grade manager. He's done a brilliant job with Preston. The Sunderland could have marketed that better. A picture went out on social media of him at a train station before it was actually announced. To me, he was a big appointment. We should have marketed that a lot better. But I definitely agree with Malcolm. We need to get behind him, give him at least a three-year deal, let him try and put his philosophy on the team, you know, the whole idea was to lower the average age of the team and get promotion, and we've done that. And like credit to Neil, the players, Speakman, Lee Johnson, um, they've all played a part in that, which is great. Let's try and get behind it, and let's try and find you know the next talents potentially you know Ellis Taylor for example, example, and see yeah. what we can do there. So definitely, I'm totally in agreement. Get behind Alex Neil. Let's get let's get the players in that he needs to try and build us and you know crack on and move forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't want to get into like kind of next season because we'll leave that for another time. Obviously, we do a big season preview, and I'm sure something will get mentioned once or twice. But I want to go into the um, the retain list, Mal. Um, obviously, Sunderland have announced their retain list today. I'm not going to go through the, all the UT players who've gone because there is a few who I don't think have ever played a first team. You know, the word turns gone, more blessing. I, I love that lad. You know, but. Um, you know, the four the four highlights really is Aidan McGeady, uh, Arbiter Tremagely, Lee Burge, Jordan Willis. Obviously, Will Griggs expected to get announced that name. And uh, Bailey Wright, Patrick Roberts and Lyndon Gooch have been offered new contracts. Um, I think the main one for that one is Aidan McGeady. I mean, it's an absolute stalwart for us. He's been here five years. He did his utmost to get us up, especially in that season in COVID where he got loads of assists with Charlie White. You know, I've got nothing but happy thoughts for McGee and I do wish them all the best I wish them all all the best but I think McGee especially you know he did his best and, and it was good for him that he actually got to be involved in that in that uh, promotion really at the end because he's he's done his utmost for he does I think yeah I would agree and I mean um, I've I've been you know there's been a couple of round tables going around the Roker Report team today um, and you know there's, there's some of them that are obviously thinking about the released list and I spoke, um, I put some input into one of them earlier on, which uh, I won't kind of spoil too much, but McGeady is definitely um, um, I think I think um, the one thing that I regret about McGeady's, well the two things I regret about McGeady's stint, number one we'll never really know what happened with him and Pargy, and why he got ostracised why he got loaned out to Charlton you know, why 
and and if that hadn't happened, then I think um, that could have made the difference, um, you know, um, to us having a way better season. Um, and and the other thing is that that I'm I'm wanting the club just to stop doing in general. And this isn't a dig at McGee because he's an exceptional footballer, um, but I'm I'm fed up over the last few years of us getting really experienced footballers that are kind of thirty-ish. And, you know, some of them come and do what McGeady's done. They really put a graft in and uh, do their best for the club. Some of them are just on a pay packet and it winds me up, you know. And those those um, guys in the last two or three years of their, um, you know, real highlights of their career are stopping other players, including youngsters, from getting a chance in the first time, you know. Um, so McGeady was a, a notable release. I was actually surprised to let Lee Burge go as much as anything else. Um, especially with um, you know Hoffman returning to Germany, yeah, because uh, that means as as one of the guys was saying earlier on that that means that we're we're probably going to you know invest in Carney. We're probably going to bring another goalkeeper in. You know, um, interesting to see whether that goalkeeper tries to grab the the number one shirt off of Pato or if he. Uh, he has to sit behind Patterson and wait for Patterson to either get injured or make a mistake to get a chance. Um, the uh, on the on the flip side of it, you know, the the, the one uh, retention that I've heard about that I was surprised about was was Leon de Jacu. Um, yeah, there's the suggestions that he's being retained, you know. Um, and whilst he was a cracking you know footballer on occasions, he was very inconsistent. So clearly, the the club see some um, some positive kind of probability in his future uh, either that or he played too many games for them to get rid of him so they've got to sign him because of some flaws who knows um, but yeah that, that was the two surprises in the in the retained list and stuff for me you know the mainly Burge and um, obviously McGeady but but also young Leon hopefully you know he can really kick on and, and be a really positive prospect for us in the championship yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, like we say, those who have been released, even the young lads, like I say, wish them all the best. Hope they have, you know, really, really good and prosperous careers. I really hope Jordan Willis, wherever he goes, um, just gets back to playing because he had a horrendous knee injury and, and he was he's a great player on his day. Lee Burge, <coughs> I'll hold my hands up. You know, I wasn't a huge fan of him, but he never let us down. Um, and obviously, Arbonich eventually, we, we again, another one who's found... Bad luck with injury, but he came in and did a job um, under Alex Neal in the early stage of Alex Neal when we were struggling for for defenders. So I wish them all the very very best. Um, we'll, we'll 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 kind of switch tactics now because um, I feel a bit bad. We're not we're not going to have much time to talk about the um, the, the 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 final day of the Premier League, which. Um, you know, wasn't really that interesting. <laughs> but um, you know, Sam, we'll, we'll start with you. I mean, we'll talk about the, the champions, Man City, to begin with. I mean, <laughs> they don't do it easy, does it? On the last day of the season, they don't like them. <laughs> no, like uh, like I said earlier, I was actually in the car on the way back from London and trying to sort of administer a bit old actually because I've. I remembered having to listen back to the radio for Sunderland games, and I, I'm thinking now, as a kid, there's no way I knew what was going on because I was in the car with my dad, and Man City scored three goals in about five minutes, and every time they scored, I couldn't tell if they'd scored or Villa scored, so it was a bit mental. But no, like you say, they don't do it easy. Um, just added to the uh, match of the day, real didn't they? But nah. I don't, that's exactly what you want as a neutral. Definitely not as a Man City fan, although they they take it now. But what a what a turnaround it was! A, a two 0 I, I thought. Oh, I thought the that, uh, that quadruple that quadruple's on now. But as soon as they got the first one, I think everyone was like, I think they're gonna they're gonna do something magic here, and the, like they usually do on the last day. Yeah, I mean, Gary, we'll talk about you know we've talked about Alex Neil's managerial um, skills and everything like that. I mean, but. Pep made that change to bring on uh, Gundogan for Silva, and, and then Silva, you know, as, as Jack Rich has pointed out, wasn't it wasn't it the racist? Um, but that sub has just completely changed the game. You know, City looked down and out. I mean, they were two 0 down. It probably could have been worse. Uh, it was only Watkins is missing absolute City before the second goal's gone in. But that change has just galvanised City. And one, Sam's hit the nail on the head. Once they get that first goal, they're they're going to score. They're gonna they're gonna win the game, but a great technical masterpiece again by by Mr. Valiola. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think you find that with you know Pep, you find up with Klopp, like they're, they're not afraid to make substitutions who could impact the game. Um, and you know you, you talk about Gundogan there. Two years ago, we probably all thought, oh, he's, he's all right, Gundogan. You know, he he doesn't really bring much to City. He comes on maybe holds up the ball a little bit. Then obviously last season was a, I think he was brilliant. I think he was the top scorer for them. Um, and you know this season he hasn't been as good. He has had injuries, but the thing is with City, any one of their players can make an impact. Last season Bernardo Silva wasn't exactly fantastic. This season he's been absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ruben yeah, Diaz uh, and Olga Spurs. Spurs. Uh, Ruben Diaz last season, I think he got their Player of the Year, didn't he? Or he got a Player of the Year award for obviously. That Simon. This season, I don't think Ruben Diaz has been as good as he was last season. Nathan Ake has came in, and Nathan Ake looks really good. And that's where Pep's, you know, coaching masterpiece comes into it. Like, he takes these players, and he can turn them into world beaters. He's done it with so many players, you know. And, you know, we touched on with Grealish, you know. Maybe Grealish might be a better player in the second season. Takes a year to really work towards Pep's kind of style. Remains to be seen, obviously. We'll see what he does in the next season. But... No, Gundogan came on, changed the game. Because I think Gundogan and De Bruyne are just... They run the show when they play for City. I think they just have su- such good communication that can, they can create something out of nothing, which, you know, generally... what the, Did City score three goals in five minutes? I think it was. They just Pretty absolutely much. ripped apart Villa in five minutes. Like, <clears throat> the only team I saw actually rip apart a team in five minutes was Real Madrid against Man City, so they must have learned something from Ancelotti's tactics, maybe. Um... But nah, like Pep has that in him, where he can he can bring on an impact player who can make an impact in a matter of minutes, i.e. Gundogan, Sterling. Yeah, I mean, so. I mean, Mal, I'll ask you this: like, um, City have scored ninety nine goals this season without a centre forward. They're getting a centre forward next season in probably the best centre forward in the world, especially the the, the most potential in uh, in Erling Haaland. Liverpool have just signed more solid to a new contract, so he's going to be there next year. Do you see this as being a period of dominance now for City and uh, Liverpool, or, or can you see anyone coming out the pack to challenge them next year? I know Chelsea have just been taken over, so Chelsea have probably got money to spend. But for me, I can't see beyond these for the next two or three or four years. Yeah, I, I saw rumours that Salah was maybe going to go um, somewhere in Europe. I can't remember which club was uh, touted as having an interest in him. I don't know if that was just his agent putting a rumour out to make sure he got a better deal. Probably, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so um, I'm, I'm pleased for Liverpool that Mo Salah signed. Um, I think Mane is going though, isn't he? Um, Munich, isn't there a, a rumour that he's, uh, he's, his release clause has been um, triggered? But it's only something like 25 million or something, I think I read. Which these days is like you know the price of a Mars bar in the Premier League, isn't it? It's crazy. So, so yeah, I, I do think there's going to be some dominance from Liverpool and Man City for a little period. Um, but I think if Marnier does get confirmed as league, and, and he might have done well, I haven't been reading the papers today. Um, I think that's going to be a bigger impact to Liverpool than um, than other people might actually um, assume. You know, because he's. He's, he's an absolute monster of a footballer, um, you know. And, and in similar terms, you know, if Man can play um, the way they have the season in the league without a, a stereotypical centre forward, there's also the risk that by trying to fit this this new um, super signing in, you know, it might take a while for that to bed in, and that could give other teams an opportunity to to kind of, um, you know, steal a bit of a head start or whatever. Um, but, yeah, it, it's going to be hard to get anything um, other than the top four for both of them two teams. The question is, who else can step up? Um, Spurs have tried and, you know, backfired a bit. Um, Arsenal are, are, are a bit all over the place at the moment, aren't they? Yeah, Chelsea might be a bit of a... Um, a bit of a revelation, but it it depends what happens with the backwash of their Russian ownership coming out. You know, uh, who knows? They might still end up getting some kind of financial limitations or penalty points, or who knows what. But um, but yeah, it's going to be tough for everybody else in the Premier League to get a sniff of that that championship trophy. Yeah, I mean, and, and Gary, well, I'll, I'll ask you this wrong. So obviously, our our good mate Dan and, and Sam as well, Burnley have gone down. Um, you know. 
as much as jubilation that City have wanted, someone does have to go down, and unfortunately it was Burnley. Um, they couldn't get the job done against Newcastle. Listen, the, the, it was in their own hands. If they beat Newcastle, they were up. Leeds did do their job, and Leeds have stayed up um, under Jesse Marsh. But I just fear for Burnley. You know, the 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 ownership is just an absolute piss take. You know, they've, they've got, I think they've got to pay a £65 million back. Yes, they'll get parachute payments next year. But I'm looking at teams in the Championship now and thinking they're about Burnley already for next season. I'm really, really fear for them. And it is sad that they see a club like that go. And I, and I don't think they'll be back for a while. I really, really, you know, I'm, I am sorry to Dan and Sack for saying that, but it is what it is. Yeah, I would say that probably is going to go by way of Huddersfield. I mean, last season, Huddersfield nearly got relegated. Um, this season, granted, they're in the playoff final, um, but they haven't really got any noticeable names, Huddersfield. If you take Burnley, you know, they do have noticeable names, but they're aging names. I mean, I can look at that team, and I don't know who you would build that team around. I, I don't rate Nathan Collins at the back. I think Nick Port will be off. I think Josh Brownhill's all right. Um, Luke Veghorst's all right, but I think he'll go as well. I think there'll be there will be a mass exodus because of the wages. The academy they don't really have any long term academy players that's came out of it. I mean, one academy player which I can think of at the top of my head was Jimmy Dunn. He played for us and he was crap. Um, I think the the will struggle. I really do think the will struggle. Um, they're gonna have to try and invest in the team in some way and try and get maybe young up-and-coming players who and give them a chance. But I don't see them getting back to the Premier League next season, the season after, or even the season after that. I think there needs to be some real investment by way of potentially a takeover. The one about company coming in as manager, he's just left Angelect. I think he's going to have a hard job on his hands um, taking over a team which we're, we're aware of over £65 million already. Um, so we'll see what they'll do, but I don't think they're going back up next season. I think it'll be a season of mid-table obscurity. Yeah, I, or even worse, to be honest. I, I, honestly, and again, I don't want to speak you know, about a club. I haven't seen them doing what we've done and doing a double draw. I really can't. I just don't see how they can they can bring the players that they need next season because of the money that they're going to owe. I know they're getting... Uh, they'll get parachute payments, but there's not one. When we went down, we went down uh, under Moyes and we saw Pickford and had to give Pickford's money to Ellis Shores. Now, this is what they have to do under their ownership, but they don't have that player. You know, possibly Tarkowski might go for some money, um, no, but they don't have an, an outstanding player that's going to raise the, the, the funds to get them back up again, if you know what I mean by that. No, I, I get where you're coming from, but let's just say, for example, take Maxwell Corner, who will move on. There's no way he's going mm-hmm. to stay there. Their next option is they need to look to the academy for a left winger or get a budget left winger. I can't see a left winger coming through their academy who can take Corner's place. I can't see a central midfielder who's going to come through their academy and take Brownhill's place, for example. Mm-hmm. I do really think they're going to struggle. They're going to have to look and try and find some gems. It's all about their coaching and recruitment this season. Yeah, definitely, definitely right. We'll we'll leave we'll leave it for for one week for one week. Actually, we'll uh, we'll go on to Ballum and Paul Lake. Now, I said everyone in in the chat before we went live that because we're all Sunderland fans, you're not allowed to pick Sunderland or any Sunderland player for your Baller of the Week. So that's kind of means put your feet and traps on. We'll start with Sam. Sam, who's your Baller of the Week? Um, right, I, I've had a few, but uh, the ball, my bowler of the week is the copper outside of Wembley that um, clocked me four pint cans of Cronenberg sticking out my jeans and just gives a nice little nod as I walk past. <laughs> so he's my bowler of the week because uh, without them, um, I wouldn't have enjoyed the walk up Wembley way nearly as much as I did. And uh, do you do... The other one now as well. The no, I will do that one, week. but uh, we'll come back oh, around. Right, we'll come back around. Yeah, Malcolm, we'll go with you. Um, so I switched on the Man City game. Um, the afternoon after we got back from Wembley, um, I felt a bit guilty about it because my missus had had enough of me talking about football for a, probably a lifetime. Um, but my baller would be Gundogan. We spoke about him a, a couple of times. You know, he came on. He made such a difference. And that header at the back post, it would have busted three nets, you know, um, really turned the game around. So if it has to be a non-Sunderland player, 
to be the bowler, I'd give it to El Ilkay. Um, agree with all the comments made earlier on. You know, sometimes he's a bit not on the on the on the best of his performance, but turn the game around. Fantastic, fantastic. Yeah, Gary. Uh, I've got to go over a player who. I love him. I think he's so good. You know, I think often he's overlooked maybe sometimes, but he's had a fantastic season. He's grew even better under Conte, and it's got to be Hoiming's son. Like, the guy, you know, was up against Salah for, for Golden Boot, and then he scored to, you know, I think it was the equal it or take it, and then Salah had scored. But like when he went to the the sideline and said, "Oh, uh, has Salah scored?" and then he saw that Salah scored, and he was like, "Oh no!" Like I thought that was just like so like fitting of Son. He's so passionate about the game, you know, playing for Spurs. He's he's such a character. Him and he he brings the best out of Kane and vice versa. And you know, I really really wanted him to get Golden Boot over Salah because I feel like he deserved it. And you know, I think he's just a fantastic person as well. Like I love watching him. Love watching his interviews when a couple of weeks ago when Conte took them off and he's like, How do you feel being taken off? Um when you're on, on course for the goal and boot man. I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. I thought that was just <laughs> hilarious. I wonder what they have to do with the golden bootman after <laughs> half is well, you know like spitting in half. <laughs> one gets the left foot, one gets the right foot. Ah, uh, maybe, yeah, yeah. I mean, mine is, and, and Gary, you're going to hate me for this because I know you, you put something in our group chat the other day, but mine is just for the celebrations of the of the um, of winning the league. It's Jack Grealish. It's just absolutely hilarious. I mean, if you're going to celebrate, celebrate properly. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure there was many a Sunderland fan like what Jack Grealish was like and I know people say you know you've got to stay professional this that and you're there fuck that you've won the league you know what I mean I know he called Almiron out and he's he's quite upset a lot of Newcastle fans and stuff but so he was a lot that was absolutely brilliant so yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, go with Jack Grealish for that I, I just hope he can do his talking on the pitch next season because I do think he needs to keep going um, and I do think he will but just yeah, get out and enjoy yourself. Get pissed and, and tea. That's, that thought was brilliant. Um, but we'll go with the ball ache. Um, same again, Sam. We'll start with you. Um, my ball ache's dead. You might think it's an obvious one, but it's uh, Darius Charles. So, uh, if, <laughs> if, you're not, if you're not sure who that is, it's the absolute genius who played for Wickham a few years ago who, um, I think, did they beat us or draw? Either probably, probably beat us, yeah, 1-0. And probably because yeah, one 0 I'm guessing it was crap. And he said um, along the lines of he thought we were arrogant and we're in their house and we need to play by their rules. And um, I just like the thought of him turning his phone on yesterday. Probably no idea what's going on. Maybe he's texting a few of the lads unlucky and he's just been hounded by a drunk Lyndon Gooch uh, on Twitter. So two thousand nineteen post. <laughs> yeah, that was class, lad. <laughs> nice one, <laughs> Malcolm. Um, I'm going to contradict one of our contributors um, and have uh, one of the most positive ball aches you're ever going to hear. I'm, I'm going to give Stockdale Wiggins keeper the ball <laughs> ache um, because uh, whilst I agree he was potentially slightly and a half unsighted and uh, there was a lot of pace and movement on the ball from Embleton, he's got to save that. Um, and you know, I'm over the moon that he's my ball ache because he started the journey that took us to the um, so yeah. And if I was a Wickham fan, I'd be I'd be swearing at his name every time I read it. So, so he, he gets my uh, my ball ache, uh, but I do wish all of the Wickham team the best for next season. They were very they were very gallant in their defeat, um, you know, so you know, good luck to them for next season. Yeah, totally agree. We're going to be Wigan fans now, now that we're out of the division, because I quite like Wigan, <laughs> to be honest. I really do. Um, Gary, we'll go to you. I think you already know who my ball is, to be honest, Jack Grealish. Like, I just, <laughs> like, he went, like, I've seen the memes, and the memes are hilarious, where it's like, he's the kid who did out in the group project at school, and he's celebrating like he did everything. Um I'm not against, you know, his celebrations. He was happy that he won the league. But I'd, even a week prior when he was like, oh, I can't wait to lift the uh, trophy. Imagine if they'd lost and Liverpool won. He would have looked like a moron. I mean, he doesn't even know where Birmingham is on a map, to be fair. Um, but, 
you know, I mean, he's entitled to act like an idiot if he wants to. You know, he's in a beefing now, partying with Wayne Lineker. That's that's up to him if he wants to do that. But, you know, going back to what you said before, Ant, he needs to crack on with his football. Let him have his mm-hmm. celebrations. I just think maybe, you know, the way he went on was a little bit stupid when he hasn't really contributed that much. But that's just my opinion. Do you remember when um, Manu won the Champions League in 1999? Sam, you weren't born, but Manu won the Champions League in 1999, right? And there was all these pictures of, you know, like Solskjaer sharing them and all that. And David May was right at the front of that. And David May never played for them once all season. You know what I mean? I I just don't care about all that. Just get involved, you know. Like like Gary Pratt, the cricketer, got an MBE for doing one thing in the Ashes, in in their famous Ashes of 2005. Throwing a ball at the stumps. <laughs> That's all he did in, in, you know, five test games. He wasn't even part of the squad. He was like a third man. Um, so uh, I've got no issues for that at all. Um, my ball of the week, um, as much as I wanted to be that golfer who um, let that um, shot slip on the and the eighth on the PGA Open. For the rest, I can't remember his name. So oh, I'm uh, um, making quite a funny one. Um, and it's going to be quite a humorous one and it's going to be um, the Rope Report lads will probably laugh at this it's um, Keith Downey because now he's going to have to find some other way of not to talk about Sunderland now in the championship so yeah <laughs> let's, uh, let's see let's see that like so he'll in all fairness like, he'll find a way he'll, uh, he'll find a way bless him uh, but yeah that pretty much wraps it up um, thanks very much to Mount and Sam for coming on and um, Chief for taking time out your day we really appreciate it um, obviously, it goes without saying if you want to know, if you want to hear more, Malcolm and Sam, we'll report women. <laughs> but cheers, lads. <laughs> nice to talk to you guys now. No no problems. Thanks for the invite. Uh, cheers, cheers for having us. Thank nice you. Happy no worries. As always, Gary, um, never a chore, mate. Always a pleasure. Uh, you too, mate. You too. Been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure just actually having a an hour and five minute chat about Sun. Well, I say an hour and five minute chat. Probably about a forty minute chat about Sun. Twenty minutes about Premier League. But I uh, always good to talk about lads. Like, yeah. I mean, we'll be back next week. Um, more than likely talk over the the playoffs that's going on this week. So we'll try and find some fans from then. But until then, uh, thanks everyone for listening, and uh, you all take care. Bye for now. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.